Welcome back to the 29th episode of the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser. And this is Steph Smith. Today, we're going to be talking about unintended consequences. So Cal, what do you mean by unintended consequences? I don't have a perfect definition, but the way I think about it is we all go about and we make decisions and we have certain intentions with our decisions to the extent that we're conscious of them. And sometimes what happens is there are unintended or undesirable results that are contrary to the intentions of our decisions. And so this plays out in lots of ways in society and in our personal lives. To give one example, it's actually called the Cobra effect, which is another fancy term for unintended consequences. Under colonial rule in India, the British wanted to reduce the number of cobras in the city. So they put a bounty on cobras. So if people killed a cobra and they gave it to the government, they would get money. That initially started to reduce the number of cobras, but then savvy business people who wanted to scale started actually breeding cobras so that they could kill more of them and get more money. Once the government figured this out, they stopped the bounty program. Those same cobra breeders released all the cobras into the city and India had more poisonous cobras than ever. So it was just an example of clearly that was contrary to what the government wanted to do. And there's all kinds of ways that this happens in our world and in our lives. Yeah, you have to be really careful when you're giving out money to get people to take any sort of action because it can get pretty dicey really quickly. There's this other story of the U.S. government that paid people $1,000 to adopt horses. And what they did, sadly, was instead of adopting them and taking care of them, they adopted a bunch of them and sold them to slaughterhouses. So I think one thing to be aware of is just money is such a strong incentive for people. Anytime you're really incentivizing people through that, it can get dicey pretty quickly. Yeah, I think in some ways what we're talking about is the idea that incentives matter. And so a couple of cool examples from one of your colleagues, Trunk Fan on Twitter, he wrote a thread about all kinds of funny unintended consequences. I thought some of these were good. So one was alcohol bans at college football games led to increase intoxication problems because fans were getting really drunk before entering the stadium. It's not like they weren't going to drink. They just got wasted before getting in there. And that led to more problems. Another one, this is a weird one. In Athens in the late 80s, the government tried to limit pollution by having odd-numbered and even-numbered license plates to drive on alternating days. The result, instead of fewer people driving on the road, which is they wanted, everyone bought a shittier second car uh, so that they could drive on any day. And so the streets were more clogged than ever and pollution was worse than ever. I love that thread by Trung. To call out one more that I thought was really interesting was in Alberta, which is a province in Canada, strip club patrons had to keep two meters of distance in order to keep the strippers safe. But what ended up happening is basically the only things that could make it two meters were loonies and toonies, which are coins in Canada. So basically what ended up happening is they just became these targets where people had to throw coins at them. And again, the intent of that rule was not clearly to get a bunch of coins thrown at those strippers. One other concept I want to introduce here, and it's from economics, but it's called externalities. It's its own form of unintended consequences, but I think it's relevant to some of the things that we've talked about on prior episodes. So an externality is a side effect or consequence of a commercial activity that's not counted in traditional accounting methods. And there's negative and positive externalities. So I'll just give you an example. A negative externality, the most common one is pollution. So let's imagine a manufacturing company is producing something. Well, what do they care about? They care about the cost of goods sold. They care about their labor, but they don't really care about pollution unless there's a regulation. So what they do when they scale is they optimize for these other things and they could be releasing pollution to society. And obviously pollution has negative effects on societies. This is called a negative externality. And basically that pollution and its negative effect is not captured when we just look at traditional accounting mechanisms. There's positive externalities as well. One example is research and development companies do a bunch of research, they develop cool drugs or whatever they're developing, and we all benefit from that. 
This is where government actually steps in and why things like taxation, patents, environmental subsidies, food subsidies, and other government intervention exists. It's actually to create better markets based on the way in which positive and negative externalities are not captured. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the role of government is important there. But as I was doing research for this episode, actually, a lot of the externalities that I found came from the government. And it makes sense to a degree because the government has the power to set up some of these incentives. But just to share a couple, for example, the Canadian government between 1945 and 1960 paid orphanages $0.70 per day per orphan and paid psychiatric hospitals $2.25 per day per patient. And allegedly up to 20,000 orphan children were falsely certified as mentally ill so that the province of Quebec could receive the larger payment of $2.25 per day. What was the original intention of that policy? I think it was just to give funding to the orphanages and psychiatric hospitals. But what ended up happening is people were falsely certified. That reminds me of something I heard about COVID, which I don't know whether it's true or not. But I think in some places they were actually paying hospitals per COVID patient that they had or per COVID death that they have, like something like six to $12,000. And when I heard that, like this was a serious disease for sure. And I don't want to discount that. But obviously, if hospitals are going to get paid more money if someone had died from COVID, they're going to put that as the cause of death versus potentially one of the other comorbidities that they would have had before the COVID event. And that in my head immediately made me think, oh, maybe deaths are overreported, at least based on that incentive. Incentives matter a lot. And what specific KPI you choose does adjust people's behaviors. Another example of this is in the 1860s, where the United States Congress agreed to pay builders of the transcontinental railroad a specific amount per section of route. And basically what they did is they said, okay, we're just getting paid per section of route. We don't care if it's the most optimal. So we're just going to create these long bends and bow shapes so that we just get paid per mile of track. Now, a lot of the examples we've given so far are things from at least what it seems like the distant past, but it's important to keep in mind that a lot of these perverse incentives can still exist. So to name just a few really quickly, real estate brokers today, if they're helping someone buy a house, they're not incentivized to actually lower the price of that house because they are paid based on commission of that sale price. Another example is how a lot of Medicare programs work. Doctors are reimbursed at a higher rate if they administer more expensive medications, and they're not really reimbursed to successfully prevent diseases. A final example I wanted to share is fire departments similarly are paid by the number of fire calls that are made. So they're not rewarded for fire prevention activities, but instead actually just removing the fires that already exist. I love all those examples. There's so many different ways in which this plays out. I'm really interested in diving into maybe some of the practical things that people can connect with more. I would encourage everyone to think about the policies that you support, or even we had that episode about COVID and zeroism. I think that's its own form of if you try to tackle COVID at all costs, then there are unintended consequences of that, which may actually be worse than having a few more COVID cases. If you didn't listen to that one, go check it out. But let's talk about day-to-day examples. Like, Where do you see this playing out and how do you think about it? Like we mentioned, this really does play out everywhere. Incentives drive the world. Most of the things we're trying to accomplish start with good intentions, but if you don't worry about the incentives, you're not going to get anywhere. And in fact, sometimes you create these perverse incentives. So I think about something that we talked about before where, let's say we're talking about this in the realm of compliance. If you are so set on 100% compliance in every shape and form, then what you do is you get people to circumvent that compliance, right? because they don't actually want to go through some of those processes. And I think what's important to recognize here is that if you are setting up a set of rules, then just question whether those rules are reasonable, whether there's incentive for someone to circumvent those rules. And then especially, as I mentioned before, if you have any sort of monetary incentive, question what that's going to drive people to do. 
Yeah, I think one of the areas where people go wrong when they make decisions is they make the silly assumption that humans are rational actors or that they're morally good in all cases. And I think that's where you can actually go awry is if you don't have an accurate understanding of human nature, or at least one that you believe in and have seen played out in different situations, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to predict unintended consequences. And you may just see the world with either too dark of lenses or rose colored lenses. I think that's really important because a lot of people truly are trying to change the world. But if they come at it from the perspective of how they want people to act instead of how people truly act, then they're never going to get anywhere. One frame to think about this is just meet people where they are. So if you're talking to a business owner, understand that they look at their P&L and they really care about their business. And so if you want them to be more environmentally friendly, you may have to frame it more in terms of the cost benefits to their business as versus, oh, we need to save the world from this environmental destruction. Both are valid causes, but the point is tailor your message to the people that you're talking with. Speaking to that environmental example, you can try really hard to say, care about the environment. And maybe they even do care about the environment. But if at the end of the day, it's not economical for them to care for the environment, not only will that person probably not care, but you're talking about 7 billion people around the world who have different worries, different concerns, different priorities, that if you're not making it economical for them, you're really not going to get very far. So the most dependable outcome in that example is to truly just make renewable energy or alternative plastics or whatever you're trying to implement cheaper than what already exists. So Steph, I think the environmental example is a great one. One thing I want to try to do is, have you thought about like practical day-to-day examples for people? So the Cobra effect and unintended consequences, it makes a ton of sense when you think about big policies or even company decisions. But I think there's three levels. There's the Cobra effect in your day-to-day life. Then there's maybe the Cobra effect for companies. And then there's government, which layers on top of both of those and architects our world, depending on what society prioritizes. Have you thought about this in everyday stuff that you're doing? Yeah, what comes to mind is, I like how you broke that down, but realistically, all of the structures, I think, are very similar. The difference is just the number of people that they impact. So something like a government implementing certain rules, those rules impact tons of people. In our day-to-day, we don't set up rules that impact millions or billions of people, but we do impact a couple people, especially in recent episodes, we've talked about management. And I think that's where some of these perverse incentives can come into play. You hear about certain examples where companies that are public, they're supposed to hit quarterly earnings reports and people do stuff like sending push notifications so that their monthly active users go up during that period. I've seen similar stuff like this happen in organizations where if you're setting certain incentives for people to hit very specific goals, then they're going to do whatever they have to do to hit those goals and not really think of how the ripple effect may come into play. Have you seen that happen? Yeah, I think there's a couple of cool things we could talk about there. So on your last piece about performance, I think that's true with the goals. If people's performance, aka their compensation and what you say about them is directly related to goals, I think how you can mitigate the risk of that because goals can change throughout the quarter or they could push people in some direction or they could create moral hazard problems. But if you then layer on, hey, achieving your goals is 50% of your performance. The other 25% is that you live by the values of the company. And the other 25% is... X, whatever X may be, you can actually create a more balanced set of performance incentives. And I think that can de-risk this idea that goals are what people will pursue. That said, if you are to do that, you will have to make the other things clear and concrete and actionable for people. Otherwise, they're going to gravitate towards the things that they can understand. Yeah, I think there's a difficult balance because one way to mitigate having one very clear goal that can drive people in bad directions is to add more goals that balance that. So for example, we talked about, let's say, medical professionals focusing more on prevention instead of treatment. So you could add more goals related to their profession and what you're trying to get them to do. But the problem there is that 
the more goals that you set for them, the more KPIs that they have, the more complex their role gets and the more muddy it gets, right? Like in terms of what you're actually trying to push them to do. And I think the same thing can happen in teams. When you have one singular goal, I think you can drive harder in one direction, but I think you also are at risk of some of these more perverse incentives, right? Because someone can really optimize and maybe even cheat in a way to achieve that goal. Meanwhile, if you have more goals, I think that muddies the waters a little bit and it makes it harder for someone to really push in any one singular direction. But I think it can combat this idea of perverse incentives because, for example, you can balance the downside of the first goal with other goals. I've definitely had similar experiences. I think one of the frameworks that's really good for this is the OKR goal setting framework. So it's objectives and key results. And the way it works is you set one high level goal and then you set key results, which are like three to five measurable and specific actions that you can take to hit that higher level goal. So you can basically move people in one direction, but have three to five sub goals that they can work on to do that. And often they're probably going to gravitate towards the ones that they can do most easily. The broader goal is achieved if you do the sub goals. So there's a nice continuity there that I I think can help create more diversity and not make everything just contingent on hitting this one number, but at the same time, not just have everyone's energy spread in too many directions. Yeah, that makes me think about how a lot of the perverse incentive examples that we gave were immediate rewards. What I mean by that is with the horses, it's, it's not that you had to adopt a horse and keep it for a year. It's that you had to adopt a horse. You can do anything with it after. Or even with the example of medical professionals, they're not being judged on how sick someone is a year or five years from then. They're just being judged on the treatment that they're giving that day. I think the same thing is true with teams and the goals that you set. The more longer term focus that you can get, I think the more you can avoid some of these perverse incentives because you're not seeing someone like rig the numbers right before a quarterly report or something like that, because ultimately that's going to show up in the next quarter anyway. Yeah. So one example is let's imagine that you're a company getting off the ground and you want to incentivize your employees to think about hitting short-term goals, but also the long-term. I think one approach you could say is we're going to give a short-term salary, a midterm salary, and a long-term salary or align incentives with those things. So for the short-term, you could do something like, here's your actual salary that you get every two weeks, plus your benefits. A midterm incentive, let's say that your company wanted to become profitable or it had some goal that you wanted to hit and it took 12 to 18 months. Well, you could incentivize people by giving them a profitability bonus or some sort of commission once the company hits X revenue. Revenue. Then the final thing is equity, which is commonly used in startups as well, where that keeps people in it for five to 10 years because the exit is likely coming at some point down the road. I think where most companies go awry is not thinking about that midterm incentive that gets people out of the trap of thinking just what do I need to hit this quarter and really setting specific milestones that my company wants to be profitable. We want to hit this revenue. We want to get this NPS score. You probably have to align the midterm goals with whatever the team function does. But I think there's ways you can layer on this thing where I'm thinking six to 12 months out and that helps guide my everyday actions. Yeah, it sounds like the long-term incentives would combat the short-term incentives in people perhaps making decisions that are too short-sighted because ultimately they would be bought in for the long-term to some degree. So they'd be trying to do stuff that would hold out for longer than just those short-term decisions. And just to reinforce a point I made earlier, I think it's really important to take away things from just straight revenue or other metrics like that. Because as you build a company culture, someone could easily hit their revenue or profitability goals, but be an asshole along the way. So if you just reward the revenue or profitability goals, you may let someone in your culture who may be toxic continue to perform and get rewarded for that. And that's going to really upset other people and impede your culture. So if you build in something like, let's say you had a monthly award, maybe it's $500 or $1,000 for someone or something that they would value. Often people value non-monetary things. And 
and it was awarded purely based on you living by one of the company's core values of which you've explained clearly and want people to live by. That's another like little incentive that I think can mitigate the risk of just pure compensation awards defining your culture. I like that. And if people are interested in that topic, be sure to visit one of our other episodes where we talk about integrity and setting values. Steph, I feel like we could riff on this forever because there's so many different takeaways and we haven't really gotten into the personal life examples, but maybe that's better for another episode to frame it differently. What are the key takeaways for you? I think one of the key takeaways for me is what you mentioned earlier, which is just that a lot of the time we think people are good and most of the time people are good, but people are driven by incentives and the incentives that you set or the KPIs that you set that drive the incentives are really important in deciding the behavior that people engage with. Since we're speaking of the Cobra effect, I think often when you set certain goals or KPIs or incentives, they don't even drive the behavior that you expect. One of the examples we didn't mention here that a lot of people are probably familiar with is when blood banks thought that they could drive more blood donations by paying people for their blood. And what they found was that actually reduced people's likelihood to donate the blood. So one key takeaway for me is that it's really hard to preemptively guess how your incentive structure may drive behavior. Although I'm sure we could riff on what incentives we think would be good or bad before actually setting them. Sometimes I think what it takes, I think, is just to set the incentives and see the behavior and then adjust accordingly. I agree with most of that. I still think there are pretty good ways for you to increase the likelihood that your policies don't lead to too many negative unintended consequences. And the first starting place for me is just awareness of this concept. I think it's obvious incentives drive the world, but just really think about it before you make big decisions that impact people. The second is to have a clear and accurate understanding of human nature. We can't predict everything. I think COVID showed us that as well. Like I got a lot of things wrong early in COVID because I thought the world would change in certain ways and it actually changed in the opposite ways. So what that taught me was not that I was wrong, but that I should have a more humble understanding of the world and how things are going to play out. And I think to your point, people should run experiments. If you're at a company and you're running an HR function, if you don't exactly know what's going to work, look towards what other companies are doing, see how that played out, but maybe run two to three experiments and then measure the results and see how it changes people's behavior. Choose the ways that work better instead of sticking with a decision and then being in the sunk cost fallacy of sticking with that and trying to be consistent because I think that's where we go really wrong. And often the negative changes happen over time. So it's only in hindsight, like years later, where you realize that something went really awry. And I think you can look towards short-term signals as leading indicators of what's to come and more companies and people and just government should be doing that instead of being so absolute in their decision-making. Yeah, I think you're right that just being aware of this effect can go a long way because if you're ignoring it, you're probably just ignoring some of the really obvious incentives that are driving people in the wrong directions. Was there anything else that you took away from this episode? I think one mistake to look out for that's really easy to fall into is just assuming that other people operate like you do or care about the same things that you do. And the reality that I've noticed in life is just that people are motivated by very different things. They care about very different things. And most of it is not really right or wrong. It's just a function of your experiences, what you learned, and all of the things that you go through in life. But it's easy to project your worldview onto other people. I think there's a fallacy for that. It's called naive realism. I love that one. And it's just a better strategy to really think more holistically that you're interacting with people who may be very different from you. So if you recognize that, I think you're more likely to design systems that aren't biased towards the way that you see the world. I really like that framing. I think for a long time, I assumed that change would just happen because people are inherently good, but there really isn't such a thing as like a quote unquote good person. But really in the end, what drives positive change is, as you said, the right systems. So if you create good systems, if you create good incentives, then that's really ultimately going to be the thing that drives people to act a certain way. 
Definitely. Shall we end it there? I guess so. This was episode 29, Steph, of our 30 Pods in 30 Days Challenge. Tomorrow, we're going to discuss how this challenge has been, some of the difficulties we've had, some of the awesome parts about it, some of the things we've learned, including some metrics. I'm pretty excited for that. I'm excited to vent a little bit because this has been much harder than I expected, but it's also been a lot of fun and humbling to realize how much work goes into podcasting. Agreed. This has been way harder than I expected. So Cal, if we continue it, speaking of incentives, are you going to pay me $10 for every 100 downloads we get from now on? I don't think so because I'm all about quality (laughs) over listenership. So hopefully we can just put out quality and, and go from there and maybe we can converge on something else. All right. All right. I guess I'll have to continue doing this for free. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at Calvin underscore Rosser on Twitter. And if you want to Venmo me $1,000, you can. <laughs> Just kidding. If you want to talk to me, you can find me at Steph Smith IO on Twitter. Until next time. Thanks for listening.